This is the Commission Church Online. Welcome to our podcast. We want to be a church who brings heaven on earth through the word of God and the love of Christ. I pray this week's message blesses you. This morning, I kind of want to title my message, Lazy Hearts. Lazy Hearts. Uh, It was nine years ago that... uh, Kind of t- t- actually, 10 years ago, we were in our, uh, our dating phase and we were getting more uh, serious about each other and uh, we were committed to marry one another. Sonia and I, we were planning our wedding. We said, okay, we're going to do this. Uh, I still remember that I proposed and, uh, uh, and I'll talk about that in a second as well. And uh, we were finalizing a wedding date. And uh, she wanted a summer wedding, like every girl wants a summer wedding. I just wanted to get it over as soon as possible, okay? Uh, If you're a Christian man like me, saving yourself for marriage, you don't really care about summer or winter. You just want to say your I do's and get to your honeymoon, right? Men, anybody identify with this, right? So the, the... you know, we kind of made a, uh, you know, kind of like this agreement of sorts. And we said, all right, let's do February. Uh, February is going to be okay. Now, uh, she's from Houston. She didn't know how crazy it could get here in February. And, uh, <laughs> and I didn't know either. I was kind of like fresh off the boat. And I was like, let's just go ahead and let, let's say February. And uh, two weeks before our wedding, I still remember to this day, there was this crazy snowstorm. And we're like, Lord, we thought February was going to be okay. But while we were deciding dates, We said, okay, February, but what date? Now, I wanted to do February 15th because it was very close to February 14th, uh, which was Valentine's Day. And I knew that if it was on February 15th, I just need to get one gift. One bouquet of flowers, one gift, nothing elaborate. But she said, nope, not happening. All right. I made the mistake of actually sharing those details with her and said, babe, let's just do this. Let's, let's just, you know, just, just kill two birds with one stone. And she's like, ain't nobody killing two birds. We're going to have two birds and we're going to kill them separately. Okay. No one stone. We're going to do two stones. So she said, we're going to do a week. I, I feel like it was just because I said 15. She said a week after. So she said, we're going to do a week after. So we got married on the 22nd. So now uh, we have a week long celebration. Okay, uh, Robert was saying that, man, just throw the money away. Uh, you know, I was talking to him in the bathroom earlier, and he was like, uh, wait to just spend more money. And I was like, ah, this was a ploy from the beginning. So now we start on Valentine's Day. That's what we do. It's a romantic week, and I cook up, uh, last year at least I did, uh, cook up a seven-course meal. We start off on Valentine's Day, and we celebrate one full week, all right? Some of your wives are like nudging your husbands. Nah, just, it's okay. We, it's just different for us us. But I still remember that we decided that that's what we wanted to do. And uh, from day one, man, it was, it was fire. We, we enjoy, like, we, we are nine years married now. Uh, next week, we will be nine years married. Yeah, a week from, week and a half from now. I don't, I'm not going to forget the date. A uh, week and a half from now, we'll be nine years married. And we're excited for what God is doing. I love her more than I did nine years ago. I hope the, f- the feeling is mutual. But uh, man, uh, but, but I could say this though, I could say this as an honest truth is sometimes the fire that was present initially in marriage in the honeymoon phase often tends to kind of slow down. For those of y'all who are married more than me, y'all know what I'm, what I'm talking about exactly. And my question is, have your hearts grown lazy? 
Uh, and, and I'm not talking about your relationship with God. You know, being Valentine's weekend, I said, you know what, we just finished an EXO conference. And I was like, let me talk to some married folk. Let me talk to some people, young people that are not married, that will eventually be married, that want to get married. No, you know, I, some of y'all are like, I just want to be single all my life. I love it, you know. I'll, I'll, I'll have a message for you another day. But today, let's focus on people that, you know, are in a relationship or say, hey, I want to be in a relationship at some point in time. But I believe that God has a message for you guys as well. It's important to always keep that fire burning. My question is, have we lost the fire? Have our hearts grown lazy because I find myself from time to time the fire that I had in year one and the love that I had in year one was not necessarily the fire that I had year three it's hard sometimes when life hits you like an 18 wheeler it's hard to keep the fire burning sometimes it's just embers and coals and sometimes you just got to add more and add more in order for this fire to continue but oftentimes in marriage, we don't want to take the effort to add more wood to the fire. And we'd rather let the fire die out and, and, and you know, just, just be so desperate when everything's dead to try to revive that which was. Have you ever, you know, and, and, uh, and you know, I, I was talking about my proposal. Like, like, I remember the days that I would make myself a fool for love. This was when I proposed to my wife. I still remember. I didn't know how to play the piano. And she knows how to play the piano. So I was like, I'm going to learn how to play the piano. I'm going to learn how, how to play the song. So I, I went on YouTube. I learned how to play the song. I rented out this grand piano, had them deliver it to a park in Houston. She didn't know the proposal was coming. There was candles all over the place. And a friend brought it to the park. And she was walking. She's like, look how cute. Someone's going to propose. You know? And I'm like hiding in the bushes. And her friend looks at it and says, that's for you. And she walks in, and I still remember this elaborate. I was going to make a fool of myself. I was so confident that I was going to sing the song, that I was going to play this song in tune, that I was going to remember all the chords, all the lyrics. And I started playing, and the second note, I went off. It was like, nah, 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 nah. and then Sonia started laughing. She started laughing. She denies that, but she started laughing. The moment she started laughing, I forgot about everything else. Like, I forgot the song, I forgot the notes, and I was like, babe, you should have laughed. Now I can't remember. And I was like, you play, and I'll sing. You know, she's like, I don't know the song. So I left the, key, left the grand piano that I rented right there, and I sang to her. But you, you make a fool out of yourselves for love sometimes. There are things that you can remember in your life when you were young and when you were in love, but you eventually get lazy. You take each other for granted. But here's the thing, right? And this is a question to some of us. Is there any other area in your life that you can afford to be lazy and still see improvement? We treat marriage like we don't treat other things in our lives. Like we can't, we can't look at our body. We can't be lazy with our body and see improvement. We have to exercise regularly. We can't be lazy in our business and stop hustling and stop, you know, look at Jeffrey. Jeffrey has his business and he's hustling. If you follow him on, 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 on Instagram or on TikTok and whatever else he's on, man, he's hustling. And you know what? He's making millions of dollars. Not true. <laughs> Some of y'all are like, can we be friends? He's getting there though. The way he hustles, I'm like, man, not, not too long before he's going to get there. 
But you can't have a business and not hustle and not make, not work hard to achieve the dreams that you want to do. Like working hard is important. You can't have a yard and, and say, man, I want this amazing, beautiful golf course yard and not do any work on the yard. You can't afford to be lazy and expect a crazy amount of results and beautiful results. Some of us treat our relationships like that. We treat our marriages like that. And I want to go to Genesis chapter number two, where we start about marriage, right? This, this, is, the beautiful, this is a beautiful, like, like a passage that we all know about. But the more we study Genesis 2, we can understand God's divine plan for marriage. So Genesis chapter 2 and verse 21 to 24, here's where we'll start, right? Genesis 2, 21 to 24, the Bible says this. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. See, the things that men have to go through for women, right? Now, verse number, just kidding. Verse 22, then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. Verse 24, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. The two are united into one. Father, speak to us through this word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The word united in verse number 24 is this word in Hebrew called dabak, dabak. The word dabak simply means to cling or to adhere. It means to catch in pursuit. It means to pursue with affection. It means to pursue with intention. These are the words associated with the word dabak. To give you a few, few verses, or I'll just give you one for now for the lack of time. In Psalm 63, verse 8, in the Living Bible, the, the Bible talks about, I will follow close behind you. The word pursue, or I will cling to you, is the same word, debak, that's used here. I will follow close behind you. This is a stalker's favorite verse in the Bible, right? I will follow close behind you. The word debak, it's a covenant between man and God. In Genesis 2 and verse 24, the Bible says this, and the two are united into one. The two are meant to pursue each other. The two come together not to just become one person, but the pursuing needs to happen. The fire needs to keep burning. See, Genesis is the first book in the Bible that explains relationships best. It explains the problem with relationships. It explains why God created the world and he created you and he created me. The reason is because he wanted to have relationships with us. He wanted to have a relationship with us. It explains why we don't have a relationship with God. And it also explains why we have, relation, we have relationship issues with other people around us. Genesis is a beautiful explanation of God's relationship with man and our failed relationship and our allegiance back to God and other people around us. If I had to summarize Genesis chapter 1 for you, Genesis chapter 1 is this, this picture of perfection. God created everything. He created the sun and the moon and, and in its beauty, in its essence, everything is beautiful and everything is good. And chapter number 2, we'll talk about it in a bit, but chapter number 2, Adam and Eve comes into the picture and chapter number 2 ends with this verse, and Adam and Eve were naked and felt no shame. Chapter number 3, everything goes south. 
Everything goes south. In chapter number 3 and verse 1, let's, let's talk about this, a short discourse here. Chapter number 3 and verse 1, the Bible says this, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say that you, might, you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Now watch this. I'm, I'm just going to go through these verses, but watch Satan planting mistrust in the heart of two people that God created. Okay? One of the biggest vices of the enemy, the biggest tools that the enemy uses against marriages is planting mistrust in the hearts of people. Planting mistrust in the heart of a husband. Planting mistrust in the heart of a wife. Now, I, don't, I want you to distinguish between discernment and mistrust. Discernment is from God. Mistrust is from the enemy. Trust, where there is perfect peace. There's, there's, this, there's this thing about trust, and we'll talk about that in just a second, but trust comes from God. Mistrust comes from the enemy. Discernment comes from God. But when you use mistrust more than you learn to discern in God, discern on God, you use your flesh to make judgments about people around you. And that's what the enemy is trying to do right now. Verse 2, of course we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, the woman replied. She's basically saying, man, God provide this for us. Like God's not suppressing us. Like the, the, the mistrust of the enemy, the lie of the enemy is, man, it's God that's providing this. Did God really say that you can't? Like, he's probably suppressing his love. Like, he's suppressing you. He's dominating over you. Man, isn't that what some of us think about God? Man, God is too controlling. Or I have to submit to God. This idea of God for us so many times drives us away from God. Verse 3, God says, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. There's this clear boundary and this line that God draws. Right? God looks at them and says, man, this is exactly what's going to happen. And Eve knew it at the back of her mind. I want to remind somebody today, God doesn't draw lines because he doesn't want you to be happy. God draws lines and boundaries because he wants you to stay happy. Like, don't, do not look at boundaries and restrictions in marriage and relationships as, man, God does not want us. Once we're a Christian, there are things that we can't do in life and there are restrictions and rules and laws. Ah, I don't want this. I don't want to be under the... But, but, but God puts that in there. Like, God knows that some things will destroy you. Don't assume that the desires of your heart are always God's desires. It was G.K. Chesterton who said, before you take a fence down, ask why it was put up in the first place. Sometimes God puts up fences and boundaries around us because he wants to protect us, that he has a plan for us. God reminds us there are things that he wants to do for us, but our heart, what does our heart do? Our hearts naturally points to your desires, not God's desires. This, isn't that a cliche, follow your heart, do what's best for you? It follows in every walk of life. See, Satan wasn't blatantly lying over here. Satan was not telling the whole truth. He wasn't just saying, man, man, this is what's going to... No, he was, he was like, man, let me twist this. Let me make it in such a way that they don't understand fully what the truth of God's love is. In verse 4, he looks at him and says, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Like he says, you will certainly not die. And, and was, that, was that wrong? Was that a lie? Probably not. Because they were not going to die right away. They were not going to instantly fall down and collapse and die, but your relationship with God will start dying. 
Your, your relationship with your husband and your wife is about to start dying and you have no idea about it. So he wasn't fully wrong, but he was provoking that thought. He knew that the relationship with the husband was about to sever and that was his plan all along. But he answered this, you will be like God. Oh man, that's not something that we heard from God. God's just trying to keep you from the good things of life. He's just trying to keep you away from love and romance. You know what the tragedy of this thing was? That Eve was already like God. The Bible says that in Genesis 1, God made man and woman in his own image and his own likeness. And Satan's like, man, you're missing out. There could be more than what you have. And sometimes for us, it's, man, is there more to marriage than there is? Is there more to this relationship that I have than there is? I want to remind somebody that, that each and every person, husbands and wife, I want you to listen to me. I, if you're in a serious relationship, I want you to listen to me. Like, God has given you everything you need in the spouse that you have married. Like, everything you need is in that husband and in that wife that you said yes to. For people that are not married, I want to remind you, when God brings the right person into your life, he knows exactly who it is and he gives the best person and they come with everything he has given them and nothing more. We can become better people, but remember that the person you married already is the best person for you. I want to remind somebody that. Verse five is this, for God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. Like she was drawn to the idea that evil might be this thing that God doesn't want me to see. And she's tempted to look up even when God has asked her not to. She's about to turn around. She's about to give in. So verse six says this, the woman was conceived, uh, sorry, convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. She was convinced that she thought it would give her something she didn't have. Can I break this down for us? What causes marriages to get lazy? Three things that I can learn from this passage in Genesis, and it's going to be very, very beneficial for you. Point number one, what causes marriages to get lazy? Comparison. Comparison. We want everything that's on that magazine cover, or on the internet, or on TV, we want our husbands to be Chip Gaines. We want our wives to be Joanna Gaines. Am I talking to somebody? If he doesn't wake up in the morning with a hammer in his hand and his tool bed around his waist, man, uh, I don't know. You need Jesus. Am I talking to somebody? Like, if, if she doesn't have her own cooking show and if she doesn't, like, am I talking to somebody? Like, like, she must not be the right person. You could be better. You could be like, watch, look, look at Joanna. Like, look at their marriage. We watch these people on TV and we want to be like them. Like, I'm convinced that the enemy's number one distraction is comparison. You know, after all, that's what God kicked him out of heaven. Am I talking to somebody? When he compared himself and he's like, man, I'm going to thrive on this. Second Corinthians 10 and verse 12 says this. Comparison is counter to wisdom. Can I, can I tell you something? And I want you to write this down. Comparison will blur out the clarity of God's call in your life. There is a call that is very specific to you, Jeff. 
But when you begin comparing yourself with other realtors around the area and saying, hey, they do this and they do this and they do this and hence I got to be. The specific and unique calling that God has given you will be diminished because you're focusing on everybody else's calling. When you focus on somebody else's marriage and say, hey, that marriage is like this. We got to be better. No, no, no. There's tips and things that you can take from other people. But God has called you to a very unique calling. And the moment you give into that and you start comparing your calling, God, the, the clarity of God's call in your life starts getting blurred out. It's not a random call. It's a specific call that only you can do. And I have this cry this morning, stop reaching out for somebody else's calling. Can I get an Amen. It's always, I got to keep up with the Joneses. I got to, I got to keep up with them. I got to keep up with them. I got to, I got to get that car. I got to, I got to get that RV. I got to, I got to get that boat. I got, I got to get my kids in private school. I got to get, I got to get another job. I got to start a bigger business than the other person. And we wonder why our relationships start breaking down. See, your kids don't need a bigger house. They just need a father that's in the house that you already have. Some dads need to wake up. It's not a let me work to, you know, hours and hours and hours making sure that we have money to afford things that we don't need. It's a let me be present so that my kids will watch me and learn from me and learn character and learn person. Come on. These are the important things. It's not about the money and the success and the fame. You don't need another job. You wonder why no one's giving you a job because you haven't been able to keep a job for more than 12 months. It's not a, hey, let, me, let me go and see what's better out there. You don't need, like, like God's looking at, like probably silently and looking at Eve and said, man, I've already told you don't touch that fruit. You don't need that fruit. Oh, no, I want to be like God. You're already like God, man. He created you in his own image and likeness. You don't, you undervalue what you already have. Come on, am I talking to somebody? He's created you so beautiful, so perfect with everything you need and you undervalue what you already have and you see it as nothing because somebody or something ignited this passion, ignited this feeling, stirred up this emotion within you to tell you and convince you that you really don't have it all. And all along what God has created to be is under, right under your nose. I don't get flowers from my husband. Look at that guy. He gives, him, he gives his wife flowers all the time. Oh, that's a beautiful fit picture of their family. They take family pictures every year. You have no idea how that mom threatened all the kids <laughs> and told them, if you don't get in this picture and if you don't put a smile on your face right now, you are going to get a whooping when you get home. Let me, let, me, let me talk about sin for a second. Sin finds its power when it convinces us that we will feel good when we yield to it. I talk about this all the time. The temporary pleasure, the temporary rush will satisfy us for the moment but eats away at our heart, making us less susceptible to God. It's not this urge to, to give in to this comparison trap, but God is looking at some of us saying, man, the best is under your nose. Like you were, you were born with it. You were given that at the beginning and the enemy is always trying to show you that you don't have what you need. For some of us, it's, man, what do I do, pastor? Tell me what to do. Like, I'm in this trap. Here's the number one thing is, man, you, you, you got to look at, you got to look at life. And man, you'd be like, am I, am I taking care of the things that God has already given me? 
If the grass is greener on the other side, we heard this at EXO conference yesterday. If the grass is greener on the other side, learn to water your own grass. Learn to fertilize your own grass. Stop focusing on somebody else's grass and somebody else's yard when your own grass is, is not kept. For so many of us, we're spending so much time focusing on other people's lives and other people's successes and we want to be like them. And God's like, man, are you watering your own grass under you? So how does that apply to marriage? Submit to one another in marriage. Learn from one another constantly in marriage. Be encouraged. See, men, the moment, the moment, the moment you ask men about marriage, they, they'll take you to Ephesians and they, they know the verse. Wives, submit to your husbands. Woman, you better submit to me. I'm your man. I'm your husband. You better submit. The alpha male kicks in. But the verse doesn't really start in verse number 22. Ephesians 5 starts in verse 21. Can we, can we talk about that for a second? It starts at verse 21 where the Bible says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. If you love Jesus, come on, everyone's quiet in this place. <laughs> Woman, y'all need to support me here. The... <laughs> It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Don't tell me that you love Jesus if you are not submitted to your wife. So Paul begins with that. Now, this is landmark. This is, this is powerful. Now, now, I want to read through this passage. Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. There is submitting that happens to one another. It's just two different ways of submitting. And we'll talk about that in a second. One of it is submitting through love. The other one is submitting through respect. But submission happens two ways. Someone say submission happens two ways. See, this verse is revolutionary. Because still the point where Paul had the audacity and the guts to say, man, I'm going to say something about this. Women were ostracized. Women were put down. Men looked down on women. And, and, and Paul was like, I'm done. I'm done with this stuff that men think is superior. Like if marriages need to work and we need to work in God's beautiful design for marriage, we ought to submit to one another. Like when you said I do, you gave up me and mine for us and ours. Like we need people to arise. You choose marriage over preference. The moment you say, I do, you choose marriage. You choose we over my needs or my wants or my preferences. Trust me, I don't mean that you become a doormat. That's not what I'm saying. A healthy marriage is looking for ways to go low. Submit, which means go under, go low. Like a sub submarine goes under the water. You can be powerful. You can be in the will of God. You can operate in the will of God. You can be powerful in who God called you to be, even under submitting to God's leadership. I want you to know that. Submitting to the mission of marriage. You're knowing that your marriage and your spouse take the first place. It's like, I'm, not, I'm no longer fighting for what's mine. I'm fighting for what's ours. I had to change a lot of words in my language in, in our marriage. Because the pastor, the day we got married, the pastor was like, the woman's always right. Just nod your head. <laughs> the pastor told me, yeah, you might be the head, but she's the neck. If the neck doesn't move, the head doesn't move. I was like, oh, I might be right. 
So I, when we got into arguments, I used to use words like, man, there's no winning with you. And Sonia would be like, what'd you say? <laughs> but that was the truth. But here's something that husbands and wife needs to un- wives need to understand. If I'm winning, we're losing. Am I talking to someone? Like if, if I am focused on winning every single time, we're losing every single time. I'm not single anymore. I am not. And, and people that are going to get married, I need us to retrain our understanding, retrain our thinking because God takes us from self-centeredness to we-centeredness to make sure that it is not about us, us, us anymore. God submits us to each other in humility. I submit to her feelings. She submits to my feelings. And what that means is when your spouse tells you how she feels, you know, don't, don't, don't go back to them with how you feel. Take some time to listen. Am I talking to somebody? No, no amen. One person's like, yeah, see, I just feel like, I don't care what you feel like, but I feel. <laughs> you didn't take out the trash, but I feel disrespected. But you forgot our anniversary. I'm, we're just talking about, our, about the trash right now. Like, like, I don't know how forgetting anniversary eight years ago, it didn't happen to Sonia and I. I'm just, I'm just like, let's just say that this is uh, hypothetical. We heard this yesterday, and I want to repeat for everyone that wasn't here yesterday. Ladies, if your husband is courageous enough to talk, you need to be humble enough to listen. See, because when, when women ask men, how is your day? Men, what do we say? Either good or, eh, eh. That's all you're going to get from us. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like if, if men ask women, how is your day? Like, get ready because it's going to be like a... St- See, this morning when I woke up, I had this dream about this shack. And, you know, I, I saw... <laughs> I just want to know if it was good or not. That's it. Like... We don't need, <laughs> but men, we don't talk much, but women, I want, I want y'all to hear us. If we talk, I want y'all to understand. If we get the courage to talk to you, got to listen. Because I want to I wanna remind somebody today, if every time you punish your spouse for being honest, you're teaching them how to be silent. And you're wondering, my, my husband doesn't talk. I wonder why. We've been married for six years, pastor. He tried the first year. And then he quit. Oh, pastor, from year one, it's bad. I've got to go back to the roots. I'm available for counseling. Don't give up. If my honesty is a doorway to a fight, I'll stop being honest. And I just want to be honest as a man here. There are numerous conversations that Sonia, we don't, we've never had a rosy marriage. It's not a perfect marriage even today, but we have a great marriage. But that wasn't the case earlier on. There was so much of miscommunication. There were times that we would argue, times that we would fight. But in all those moments, I would look at her and I would say from a man's perspective, like, like, like if, if, if my honesty and in my opening my heart and being vulnerable is a doorway to fight and cause more issues, I'm going to stop being honest. A silent marriage is a cold marriage. A cold marriage is on the way to being a dead marriage. And I want us to understand, I want us to wake up 
Some of us need to stop being, being, being like, like comparison, comparing all the time. Some of us need to learn how to be content. Quit comparing your wife to other women. Like be grateful for what you have. Like you have a wife, be grateful for that. Like men, like be grateful. Like have you seen us recently? We're, <laughs> we're hairy and we're smelly. And we still have women that say, we, we're interested in you. We love you. Be grateful. Be grateful for your job. Stop complaining all the time. You still have that paycheck hitting your, your bank every two weeks. Lord, I know I am not happy, but Lord, I am thankful. I am grateful. I'm not going to compare. I'm going to say thank you, Lord, in every situation in my life. And oftentimes we're so unhappy because we have unrealistic expectations. I got to go on. But some, sometimes it's, it's asking for things that you really don't need. You're comparing and you're like, um, it was Carissa, my, my second daughter, came up to me the other day and said, Dada, I want, I need this candy. I said, you need what? She said, I need this candy. I said, you don't need this candy. You need food. I'll give you food, but you don't need this candy. She said, but that's not fair. <laughs> I said, but what's not fair? And she said, she used another kid's name inside church and said, but so-and-so is having a candy. Their, their daughter said it was okay for them to have it. I said, I don't care what their daughter said. You don't need a candy. You don't. Sometimes that comparison, like the greatest gift that you can give one another is being content with what God has given you. There's ways of improving marriage. That's not what I'm saying. Like stop wanting things that we don't need. Because here's the thing. Guess what? The people that have more than you are going to be super accountable on judgment day. That person that has that mega mansion, that person that has multiple businesses, that person that has a rosy marriage that you think they do, they're going to be super accountable on judgment day because talent and wealth comes with responsibility. I am glad and grateful that I am not a millionaire because I wouldn't know how to handle all that money, y'all. Honestly, wouldn't. You won't be responsible for 10 talents when God has only given you two talents. And for some of us, it's two talents that you have and you're complaining about the 10 that you don't. Be happy that God has given you two because that's all you can handle. Ask Solomon, he'll tell you. What causes marriages? What caused marriages to become lazy? Uh, comparison. The second thing is reaching for unnecessary things. Reaching for things that you don't need. See, they had everything in the garden. Eve was the most beautiful woman. Adam was the hottest man alive. He made GQ every year. Well, at least that year, because that was the only year they were together by themselves. Nothing to compare themselves to. They have food, they have love, they have intimacy, they have protection, yet they feel the need to reach out to explore what they don't have. Husbands, wives, young people listening to me that's probably going to get married one day, preparing for marriage, many times the things that destroy us are things that we bring under a possession that we really don't need. The thing that will destroy my marriage is emotional and physical intimacy that is anyone that is not my wife. 
There are things in marriage that you don't need. And many men will reach out to see what it would be like with someone that is not the usual, not the normal, but you don't need it. But Dada, everybody else, no, 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 God's like, I don't care. This is a covenant that you made with one person. I am your father. You have a relationship with me. Stop being attracted to things that we don't need. I need that car. I need that house. I need that promotion. I need that perfect woman. Like every guy wants to marry a 10. But you're a three, bro. You know what I'm saying? Like, like every woman wants a man that's like six, three, and you're like four, nothing. I'm sorry. I'm just being honest right now. Like unrealistic expectations. All the women were happy when I said, talked about the boy, but then. <laughs> and only do we reach, we make other people reach too. Hey, you want some? You convince a, a band of brothers and a band of sisters that you're thinking and what you're thinking is right and you want to lead this revolutionary movement of empowerment of men and women and you're like, this is what matters. And verse number six, and she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. Adam stands right there, the man of the house, the head of the house. Come on. He's watching everything crumble away right in front of his eyes. And he's like, oh, I just don't want to fight with my wife. We just got married. Like I said earlier, the pastor told me when we got married, the woman's always right, so I guess she's right. I guess if she says it's good, it's good. I guess I just have to follow. You know what the mandate of the man was? To get the knife or the spear and to go snake hunting. But he stood by and he seconded the motion. The woman said, here you go. And he said, all right, here we go. Let's go, baby. Remember, all relationships will pass through the deepest of temptations and the fiercest of hells, hell, but the only ones that will, will survive and come out were the ones that will be built on a strong and solid foundation called Jesus. And sometimes Jesus draws boundaries around us. God draws boundaries around us that, that he's like, man, stop, stop reaching. Stop violating these boundaries. Stop reaching for more things without stewarding the things that you already have. Are you watering your own grass? But why do we reach? We reach because of an unmet need. Keys, if you guys can, if you can come help me out. Why do we reach? We reach because of an unmet need. You're never going to reach if you already have that if you already enjoy what you have. See, here's the thing. It's not that you don't have it. It's, not, it's, it's that you're not enjoying what you already have. Does that make sense? It's not that you don't have that in your wife or your wife can't provide that to you or your husband can't provide that to you. It's just that you're not giving it. You're, you're, you're holding on to it. It could be emotional. Uh, it, it can be your emotions. It could be sex. It could be anything that you're supposed to share. You're supposed to give, but you're holding on to dear life for it. And, and guess what? When you have, and that's what I said, whatever you have, you already have, and God has given it to you, and it's in your possession. But when you don't allow the other person to share in that which you already have, what they're, all, what they're going to do is they're going to start reaching. 
For the woman, security, like is, is a woman's mega need. Like it's their foundational need. Men, is she secure around you? Like, like does she know her place around you? Like, does she know that she is the queen of your home? She's the queen of your life. She's the front and center of everything that you care about. Do you communicate that you care for your wife above anyone or anything? Respect is a man's mega need. That's what, that's what the man needs. Like woman, he married a wife, not a mom. The reason a man gets all big and bad is because he needs respect. This need to be honored, the need to be a leader, and God put that in us. Like, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing thing, but God put that in our hearts. Brother, can you just bring that down just a bit? Like, what are the things that we're reaching for that is not, is not something that's available to us? Like, it's there, it's in our garden, but we're not watering it. For some of us, it's a part of the garden that we've totally ignored. For some of us, it's that, that flowering bed that has to be the center of our garden. It has to define our marriage, but yet we are not focusing on it. What needs our attention today? That's my question to so many of us. For women, sometimes with the, the, the subject of respect, man, it's not in what you say, it's the tone of voice sometimes. It's not about what you say, it's how you say it. Many men go, man, I have, I have one mom, I don't need two. We're gonna have that mom for the rest of our lives and that's all we need. And some men are, are going, man, if, if there's another man that talked to me that in that same, same tone, we're going to blows. For the woman, man, security, like I said, is, is, is the woman's like biggest need. Like, are you encouraging your, your wife? Are you making sure that she is secure in every single thing? Like, husbands, are you communicating your admiration and your love for your wife regularly? A husband, like, are you communicating your faithfulness to her, your devotion to her on a regular basis? That's what the woman needs. It's to know that you're constantly interested in, and, and haven't, haven't lost that interest, haven't lost that attitude towards her. She needs to hear that from you. Wives, your husband's needs and need needs encouragement. Like we don't say that. Like, like men don't say that. Like 90% of all men thrive on verbal affirmation. Men be, oh, we don't need that. We're, we're, we're good. No, no. They're wrong. Like you give a man one compliment, that's good enough for the whole week. Like I remember when, when uh, it, was, it was a month ago, Sonia, Sonia doesn't get to sit in as much anymore because she serves with the, with the kids. And she, was, she sat in on one of my messages and as soon as we got home, she gave me a slap on my butt and she was like, good job, baby. I was like, all right, this is good. That was all I needed. Like guys need that, the slap in the butt, man. But woman is different, man. Y'all need to make up your minds because one day you're like, all right, that's good. And the next day you're like, how dare you touch me like that? 
Oh, you, you dirty mind. Oh, you think. We like that stuff, though. What causes marriages to go lazy? I'm closing with this. Comparison, reaching, the last one is the blame game. It's not my fault. Adam, what did you do? It's not my fault. You gave me the woman. You made her naked. She told me to eat. It was me, the hippo, the tiger, and the sloth. But you had to bring this woman. Not me, Lord. Verse 13, and the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. She didn't have the husband to blame, but she blamed something else. It wasn't me. I was just sitting and minding my own business. It was that slimy, crafty snake. Why did you have to make him so attractive and his voice so deep? Am I talking to somebody? Like we have to stop blaming others for what we do. Like Adam was like, I was alone and everything was good. Not my idea. It was her idea, God. Job 1.22, the Bible says this, in all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. See, they were caught up in blaming God, blaming each other, the perpetrator, and all three were cursed. That's what the Bible says. It's not the blame game. Some of us need to learn how to say sorry. Like, do any of your children find it difficult to say, anybody have children that just find it so hard to say sorry? Anybody here? One, three, four. Some of y'all are being very careful about this. You know you're lying. <laughs> I have two kids that find it very difficult to say sorry. But you know where they learn it from? from their mom and from their dad. I'm not ashamed to say that. Because sometimes our egos get the better of us. And my kids are watching me the entire time to see if I say sorry to my, my wife day after day. If my wife says sorry to me day after day. And some of us, man, you don't need to be wrong to repent. You're like, it's not my fault. And the other person's like, it's not my fault. But you don't need, like, like what does the Bible say? Jesus became guilty. Does that make sense? It's very biblical. We heard about this in Exo as well. Like, you don't have to be wrong to repent. Sometimes you got to eat, eat the humble pie. Take the L. Men, sometimes we have to take the L. Women, sometimes you have to take the L and say, you know what? It doesn't matter. One person has to initiate. I don't need to win and be right every single time. Some of us are willing to sacrifice our marriage to be right. Again, I'm not talking about abuse. I'm not talking about being a doormat. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about taking the low road instead of taking the high road. Would you stand up to your feet with me, church? We're actually uh, almost at the end of potty training our three-year-old who's going to turn four soon, but I still remember that when we were potty training our now seven year, oh, going to be seven year old. Michaela was around two. And um, during the whole potty training process, you know, we're taking her to the bathroom every 10 minutes, every 15 minutes. And one of these 10, 15 minute times where like, you know, intervals were like, okay, we asked her, hey, do you need a poop? Nope. Do you need a pee? Nope. Do you need to go? Nope. Are you sure? Nope. Five minutes later, what's that smell? <laughs> Parents, you know what I'm talking about? It hits you. Yeah. You're like, I, Mickey, I just asked you. I'm like, come here. Did you poop? 
Nope. <laughs> so what do parents do? Come here. And that we, we all like, we know it's going to be hard. It's bad, but we need to make sure. Anybody been there? You know it's there. Oh, yeah, I got to make sure. Let's go and open it. And then, like, you ask, you ask the kid, what's that? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And I'm like, who did that? I don't know. <laughs> not me. I was like, if it's not you, then who? And she's like, Paw Patrol. Like, Peppa Pig. She, she blamed it on, like, our dog once. She was like, Zoe, not, not, not me. If you want to be relationally restored, you have to own up to your own poop. Stop being a child. Like in marriage, it's so important to say, my bad. Stop being children in marriage. Stop being kids in marriage. Step up and say, man, I messed up. I pooped. My bad. Like, like I know this is nasty. I know it's hard. I messed up. And like I said, when honesty is there, forgiveness is so important. Husbands and wife, if you want your spouses to be honest with you, it's so important to walk in with grace and love and forgiveness because if there's no forgiveness and no love and no mercy, people just shut off. Admit that you're wrong. I'm not perfect. I'm far from it. Man, Sonny and I have arguments and disagreements all the time. We, we, we kind of prefer to call it moments of intense fellowship. But something I've learned is that after having a moment of very intense fellowship, I know this, that the distance between you and your last apology is going to be the distance between you and your closest intimate relationship. And some of us need to own up to it. For some of us, it's those three steps that we need to take in order for us to be restored in our relationships, for us to change our lazy hearts to hearts that are on fire for one another. And God's plan for marriage and relationships, and if you're single and you're dating, if you're single and you're engaged, if you're single and you're seriously dating, if you're not seriously dating, you just met the guy and you want him to follow God and you want him to follow Christ, here's what I'm telling you to do. Guys, And if, if you don't have a relationship with God, here's the thing. Follow God with everything you have. Girls, if you don't have a relationship with God, follow God with everything. Put God first and let, let, let the, your relationship with the other person will come around. Can I be honest with you? Women can attest to this. Men, there's nothing more sexier for a woman than to see her man lead her in prayer and in her relationship with God. There's nothing more hot than that. And I want to remind you that. When you get on your knees and when you pray, when you cry in the presence of God, when you raise your hands and worship, man, there's nothing more better than that. When we get into the, when we get into the presence of God, let's ask God to heal our lazy hearts. And if you've, you've drifted, you've distanced, you've been distant from your spouse, if there's something that's caused a rift to happen, I pray that God will give you that fervor, that passion. I want to pray over you guys and 
I want to dismiss y'all, but I want y'all to take a moment and just think about this. Take a moment to just ask God for wisdom. Here's what we're going to do. I'm, I'm going to pray. I'm going to dismiss, but there's no shame in asking for prayer. There's no shame in saying, Pastor, we need some help. We need, we need some, some counseling. We need, some, we need someone to talk to. There's no shame in saying, Pastor, there's, like, like, there are a few things that we need to work through. And, and for some of us, man, the, the people that were here, the 16 couples that were here for the last two days, some of them have amazing marriages and some people that I look up to, and, but they were still here because even after years of marriage, there are still things that God teaches us. Be humble to it. Be humble to correction. Be humble to teaching. And I pray that God will increase you and God will bless you. But as I pray and close, and I, you know, I, I want us to spend some time in, in prayer after that, but I'll dismiss you guys. If you need to leave, you can leave. But if you need prayer, if you need prayer for you and your partner, if there's somebody you're dating and, 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 and you know, you're, you're serious about your relationship and man, you just want to go closer to the Lord and you want to grow closer to each other, I'm here for prayer. If you're already married and you need to grow closer in your walk with your, your husband, your wife, I'm here to pray with you. But I'm asking you to take the first step forward. God is the healer, but he can't heal unless you take the first step. He's the one that heals, but you say, Lord, heal me. And there's no shame in that church. Father, we want to thank you for this moment. We want to thank you for this beautiful morning that you've given us and I pray God that as we go back home as we just uh, enjoy this time with our family this this Sunday evening as we enjoy this time with our spouse as we look forward to this week God I pray that you will give us a sense of urgency a sense of excitement about our marriage about our spouse about our husband about our wife I pray God that you will teach us things that we need to learn that, Lord, that you will help us to be able to uh, digest the things that, Lord, you're teaching us through your word about relationships, about marriage. And I pray that, Lord, we will always be humble to know that we need to learn how to say sorry. That we need to own up to our mistakes. That we need to stop reaching for things that are beyond the boundaries of our marriage. And that, Lord, we just need to be content with what you have called us to be. So we thank you for your promise. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love, your mercy. Speak to us this evening. If there's anybody here that's hurting in their marriage, in their relationships, from their, their past relationships, if there's somebody that's single here that wants to be married, Lord, at some point in time, I pray that you will bring the right person into their life. And I pray, Lord, that that marriage will be beautiful. It will be wonderful. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. I pray for every person in this room. I pray for people that are sick. I pray for, I pray for Amy. Lord, I just pray that she's healed in her body. I pray, God, for Eric. We pray for healing in his body. We pray for complete restoration of health. I thank you, Lord, because you are on the throne. Thank you because, Lord, you have taken center stage. And I pray, God, that you will be the God of our marriages, that you will be God of our families, and that, Lord, we will stop comparing, that we will stop reaching, and that, Lord, we will put you in the center of everything, and, Lord, we will stop the blame game, and that we will, Lord, learn to appreciate one another. We give you praise. We give you glory. Church, may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious to you. May he lift his countenance in your direction. May he give you peace that passeth all understanding. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. 
We love bringing you the word on so many different platforms. We are so thankful for what God is doing in and through us. We'd love for you to subscribe so you don't miss out. And don't forget to share this message if it has blessed you.